Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today with Jonathan Geller, founder and CEO of Metabolic, and first product is OneFix. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me. Uh, Jonathan, I thought we'd start with a brief introduction of who you are and how you got into healthcare space more broadly, because you came to it uh, sort of as an outsider. Yeah. I've spent the last several years working on consumer-facing information technology, and the reason I came into this, my background is actually in economics and, and philosophy, is that as a social scientist, I thought this would be the best tool to help people, you know, change behavior, have different incentives and behave differently, as opposed to, say, public policy. I was kind of interested in, on that at first, but I'm from Venezuela and the prospects of doing policy of any kind down there, as you can imagine, are not very exciting. So I thought this was a, a way to both influence people, help people make better decisions, and also a way that had low barriers, barriers to entry. I mean, I mean technology in general. The way I get into healthcare is that after spending, as I said, several years on this space and spending my last couple of years working at Facebook, what I was thinking is, how could I leverage the set of skills that I've developed for the highest leverage problem that I could find? And the set of skills that I developed are around building retentive, easy-to-use products that also influence behavior. It, 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 they nudge people to do things a certain way and not, and not another. And as I was looking how to apply my skills to the highest leverage thing, I literally went through a list of problems and figured out from first principles which one were the most important and from those, where could I add value? And if you look at that list, there are things around not very urgent but very high risk, like say imbalances in the ecological in the ecological system. So say global warming or something like that. I'm not particularly well equipped to add value there. There are other things around income distribution and mobility that I'm not particularly well equipped. But if you look at the biggest driver of cost in society, at least in the U.S. and increasingly so outside, and if you look at the number one cause of death in the U.S. and increasingly so outside, is the rise of preventive chronic disease, meaning this is a family of diseases that can be avoided. They don't need to be treated after the fact. They can be prevented before they happen. And when you look at the interventions, some of the drugs out there, say statins to help you deal with um, cholesterol or metformin for high blood, pressure, uh, blood sugar or, or whatnot, uh, they treat after the fact problems. So they just manage the symptoms. They don't actually, they don't get to cure you. But there's a bunch of clinical evidence that if you provide actual preventive care, if you help people make decisions on how to, what to eat, exercise, sleep, stress and anxiety management, you see outcomes that far outperform the best-selling drugs in the space. So that to me was intriguing. And there's a way to approach people and help them nudge them in the right direction that can be transformative at the individual level and also at the societal level. So I thought, well, that's a good match between a pretty high leverage problem and what I feel I'm competent at. So it seems highly leveraged. So, so I'll try. That's kind of how I got into it. Totally. And why do you define what metabolic is and what you're trying to do as a company? And then we can back it a little bit in terms of 
as you sort of search the idea maze that is all the opportunities in, in, in digital health, how you settled on this being the most important problem to solve and maybe some of the other opportunities you looked at? The mission of Metabolic is to eliminate preventable chronic disease. That's a, the big goal that we have set up for us. The thesis of the company is that through proper preventive care, that can be achieved. Meaning if you can help people execute some of the things we know are important, like eating better and exercising more and sleeping more and better, you could effectively eliminate or drastically reduce preventive chronic disease. So that's, that's, why, the company, that's why the company exists. The first product that uh, Metabolic put in the market is called OneFix, and it helps people change how they eat. A lot of people go to a doctor with high blood pressure or high blood sugar or high triglycerides, and they're told to eat better as the biggest leverage to improve their health. And you know, they're told to eat some carrots and change what they eat. And it turns out that just being told what to do doesn't quite work. So what OneFix does is that it develops a model of care that we can deliver direct to consumers that helps people change how they eat. What that model of care entails is effectively three things. The number one thing, which effectively defines the name of the product, is that we realize that one of the main reasons why people fail when they try to change what they eat is that they change everything at the same time. They say, it's Monday, I'm going to start a diet, and they effectively change everything at once. And in a sense, it's deeply brutalizing. It becomes really hard to do many things at the same time. Over time, that becomes a burden. It kind of collapses over you and, and, and you fail. And that's roughly the, the story of people who try to eat better. And again, you, you have to keep in mind that this is relevant for aesthetic reasons for a lot of people. But for you know, hundreds of millions of people, at least it's, it's really about extending lifespan and reducing morbidity. It's actually it's pretty, pretty important for a lot of people. So what we realized is that as opposed to changing everything at the same time, the question for us was how do we help you find one thing you should focus on. That, that's to say that if in the next 30 days you can just work on one thing, what would be the easiest, highest leverage thing you can do that would actually move the needle forward, that would actually reduce bad biomarkers in your blood, it would reduce waste circumference and so forth. The way that works is that people take pictures of why they eat, we analyze the things that they're eating, we look at everything they're eating and we say, well, certainly there's a lot of things that are happening here that are not great, but which one is the highest leverage one? We pick that fix. You as a customer work on that fix for a full month. We provide 24-7 support, you know, both nutritionists and nurses and customer support specialists to help you achieve that goal. We continue to analyze all your meals. And after a month, hopefully that change has become a part of you. You've lost some weight. Some of your key biomarkers have improved. And we've looked at all your pictures, so we're ready to give you the next fix. And people continue to work on monthly fixes until they achieve their goals. Awesome. And w w was your thinking sort of something along the lines of, hey, where, where is the biggest, you know, most important place to focus on healthcare, preventive healthcare? Where within preventive healthcare can we make a big dent, you know, nutrition, thus, you know, one fix? Or what, what was your sort of idea? That's, that, that's exactly right. It's kind of top down from, from first principles reasoning. One in three deaths in the U.S. and soon to be the same numbers for, I guess, the entire globe is due to what's called the metabolic syndrome. The metabolic syndrome is a set of biomarkers that strongly predict heart disease, type 2 diabetes, strokes. Those diseases together 
represent one in three deaths in the U.S. Just to put that in perspective, cancer is one in five. It's the number one cause of death in the U.S. The biomarkers that are highly predictive of that are, you know, waist circumference, you have a big belly, cholesterol, triglycerides, you know, blood sugar, blood pressure. And what's interesting is that those biomarkers are all driven by the same set of behaviors, meaning what you eat, exercise, stress anxiety, sleep. And when you look at each of these variables, the one that is the, the highest leverage is nutrition. Nutrition is the highest leverage because it directly explains those outcomes more than anything else, but also indirectly connects to everything else. Nutrition is, explains a lot on how you sleep, stress and anxiety is deeply connected with nutrition. And I think this is probably very intuitive for people, how nutrition kind of is both a, a marker, a signal for any, many of the other preventive health activities, right? Like sleeping well or, or exercising. So we got to nutrition because it was the highest leverage thing we could do to move the key biomarkers that in turn explain the rise of the metabolic syndrome which is effectively one in three deaths in the U.S. So it was pretty much how do we reduce the number of deaths as much as we can with one feature, with, with, one, pro, with, one, thing, with one problem that we're trying to solve. And that problem that we're trying to solve is nutrition. And zooming back out for a sec, uh, when you chose preventive health, what other you know, big sort of uh, areas could you have, did you think about choosing healthcare or could you have chosen? If I thought about healthcare directly, meaning if I didn't think from my set of skills to the highest leverage problem that I could work on. But rather, if I would have started with healthcare and thought, well, what can I do here that would be high leverage independent of my skill set? I think preventive healthcare has many other potential angles that one could approach. So I would say, roughly speaking, we can go deeper into that if you like, but roughly speaking, I think preventive healthcare is a broad space that has a ton of room for innovation and that is particularly susceptible to technology. But also, I would say that there's a bunch of diagnostic applications that can be greatly improved with state-of-the-art machine vision. I think, you know, grades of gray, 2D imagery, you know, be that an x-ray or something like that, it's fairly susceptible to be improved through, again, the state-of-the-art in, in machine vision. So I think that's an interesting area that I've looked at and that I thought was, was fascinating. I think there's interesting work where technology can add a bunch of value both on early detection and rare disease, meaning wherever proper use of big chunks of data can be leveraged to find signal where before was not possible, I think technology has a great opportunity to add value. I think also, though this is particularly not exciting to me, but I believe really of a real value, I think technology can have a lot of leverage within healthcare by improving workflow. So I think workflow optimization inside hospitals, it's also ripe for disruption. I think technology can add a ton of value there. It's just that it's slightly less exciting to me. So to recap, I think on healthcare, if you think about healthcare first, the areas where technology can add a ton of value are preventive care, diagnostics, uh, particularly applying machine vision to two-dimensional images like x-rays and so forth, areas where data can be leveraged to find signal where before that was hard, in particular early detection of disease and kind of rare disease treatment. And finally, I think there is a lot of value that can be added from kind of porting the consumerized enterprise tooling into the healthcare system to optimize workflow. And how do you think about something like insurance? 
That's so interesting to me. I'm so glad you asked that. I think the way to think about insurance is to take one step back and think the real problem to solve there is incentive alignment. I think there's a lot of value, meaning monetary value and potentially real and customer value in improving healthcare insurance, uh, both how it gets delivered and how it gets communicated and how it interacts with customers and so forth. But fundamentally, the system is set up in such a way that insurance companies don't hold the customer for too long. Insurance companies can hold a customer, I think, for two, three, four years, mostly because they get the customer through the employer of the person who gets a benefit. And so they churn. And, and in a relationship where you expect to get your customer for only a couple of years, it, it is such a pervasive incentive to build long-term relationships and look after long-term care. Now, insurance companies are changing and changing fast. And, and, and I think as I'm saying this, I'm almost describing the world that it's no longer or, 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 or it's slowly disappearing. And, and there's a new world where outcome-based payments is becoming more prominent and, if, and hopefully what I'm describing will go away. But as, as we stand right now, what happens is that large insurance companies are get paid on premiums. Premiums go higher. If costs go higher, the payer doesn't really care about, care about the cost because they're not really paying the, the companies for, to some degree paying. So generally what I would say about insurance is that the system is set up in such a way that agents that are otherwise really well-intentioned are not doing the best thing for the patient or the customer. So having said that, to me, what's interesting about insurance is to think about how do you go about aligning incentives? So take, take one fix, for example. Our job is to make sure you live a longer, healthier life. If you eat better, key biomarkers will improve. If those key biomarkers improve, it is proven that it is very likely that your lifespan will increase and your morbidity will, reduce, will be reduced. Now, I pay a subscription service for that outcome. You could imagine that I could align myself with the customer and insure them against negative outcomes in the future, meaning if I do my job well and I add value to my customers, I make more money. If I don't do that for my customers, I do not. And so with regards to insurance, I think there's a ton of interesting stuff right now around distribution, a ton of interesting stuff. I think Oscar, for example, is doing amazing work rebuilding the infrastructure of how to run an insurance company so it can be more efficient, so it can be more customer-centric. And I think those efforts are amazing and they're very inspiring. What to me more exciting is to think, is there a model of care that can allow, align the customer or allow, align, align the company with the patient so that insurance incentivizes both the healthcare provider and the person paying for it to do the right thing? And so that's, to me, more interesting. How, how do we reshape the system to align incentives rather than tweaking what we have right now? And one fix is an effort to do so. Because we charge direct to consumers, we're held accountable by our consumers to do the right thing. And that, that's pretty powerful. I think that's a better foundation to, for example, build financial products or like, like insurance and, and the likes around healthcare. Yeah. Are there any other companies that you think are in this direction that you're inspired by? People have a lot of criticism for Kaiser Permanente, but I am pretty inspired by them. Though they're small, meaning we would want something like Kaiser Permanente to be bigger, I think that model to me is very intriguing, meaning the care provider and the, and the insurance company is effectively the same. So they're deeply incentivized to prevent, to be efficient, and so forth. So th that's a company that is inspiring to me. I am actually very intrigued to see what 
the pharmacy of the future looks like as well. And, and, and but I mean, by that, I mean less uh, efficient delivery of drugs and what Amazon can do in that space, which I think is really valuable and intriguing. And more, what can a CVS or a Walgreens can do with their location? to effectively decouple acute care, meaning the care that a hospital is really good at, where if you break a bone or get a rash or have cancer, the acute care model works really well for you. And how do you decouple that to create a good preventive care model? Meaning how do I get you to eat better, exercise more, stress less, take your medications, and the impact of that. So I think there's a lot of players in the healthcare space who are well positioned to rethink the preventive care model that are now being disrupted from different angles. So I'm intrigued to see what big pharmacies like CVS and Walgreens can do in that space. But to your point specifically, I think Kaiser Kaiser Permanent is really inspiring. Yeah. Let's go back to preventive healthcare. Talk about the opportunities within that space for entrepreneurs who are listening to this and say, hey, I want to do something in preventive healthcare. Yeah, that's a really good question. The premise that I would take into account for anyone trying to do something in preventive healthcare would be, I believe the current healthcare system is optimized for acute care, meaning you get sick, something gets broken, something inside of your cells or your bone or in your skin is no longer working the way it should, and the system is really well set up to do that. The system is not well set up to provide proper preventive care. If you're a primary care physician, particularly if you're an internist or so forth in the healthcare system, you are seeing a lot of patients, you don't have enough time with them, and you're mostly routing to specialists that effectively make more money for the hospital. The people who are primary care physicians are well-trained, brilliant people, deeply committed to the healthcare of their patients. So I think any potential, any interesting opportunity in the preventive care, in the preventive care space has to start with the idea of rethinking the model where preventive care is at the center. Meaning if the only thing you do is preventive care, how would that look like? Meaning I think it's less interesting to think about adding value to preventive care as it exists in the existing healthcare system because, again, that system is not set up to, at least not now, to make preventive care the center of the experience and the, and the value proposition for customers and for the investors and so forth. And rather think, well, if I were to do something from scratch, what would preventive care alone look like? So I think that would be the first premise. The second thing that I would say is there are both a disease orientation that one can take or a prevention orientation that one can take. I think there's opportunities for both of it. I mean, one can think from a disease perspective, think, well, if I only help people with heart disease, what would that clinic look like if, if that's my only job? If I only help people with type 2 diabetes, what would that look like? If I only help people with sleep disorders, or if I only, and so forth, right? So that's one angle where you can imagine the clinic of the future for patients of uh, heart disease and disrupt and innovate in that space. The other area, which is roughly where we are, is if I can think about prevention before the disease happened, what would that look like? Like, how do I help people eat better? And if I do nothing else, how do I, how do, I do that great? Or if I only help people uh, have less stress and anxiety, what would that look like? I'm pretty sure all ambitious entrepreneurs working in this space are thinking this way. You're thinking, well, we're developing a model of care, say, for stress and anxiety, or a model of care, say, for nutrition, 
that has fundamental insights on how to help people change their behavior to achieve something that is really hard, but really high priority for them so that it can be, so, so that it can be applied for something more than what I'm working on. So if you think about us, it would be, can we develop a model of care that makes it fundamentally easy for people to do something that is really hard, but really important for them? And can I apply that model to other preventive care vectors like sleep and, and sleep or stress and anxiety and so forth? So I think that would be the second layer of reflection on preventive care, which is like, do you work on the disease itself that can be managed and prevented, or do you work on the underlying causes of that? And I think there's preventive care models on, on both, both accounts. I think the third thing has to do with what's the role of data versus care in, in the solution that you're building. So one idea is to think, well, can I get more information to people sooner so that we can detect things before they happen, or we can inform people to empower them to make the right decisions and so forth. And so in that space, people who are doing at-home kit testing or genetic testing or using uh, the latest and greatest hardware to constantly measure things. So that's one area of work. And the other area of work is uh, it's to think, well, what's the actual model of care? Meaning, if you think about the customer, and you think someone who has 50 pounds to lose and the cholesterol is pretty high and the blood sugar is pretty high and probably his father or his uncle had a stroke and he has kids and he has been told that if he doesn't change his ways, he will end up where his father or his uncle is. What is the model of care? Meaning, how do you actually support that person through that problem so they achieve the goal that they want? And I think there, Silicon Valley, we, we tend to over-rely on data and on the quantify self-model and think that if we empower people with the right information, somehow they'll be liberated. And I do believe there's a bunch of areas to add value and improve on the data side. For example, I, I believe there's a couple of genetics companies doing really interesting work using genetic information to find you the right drug. So you can take things, take medicine that actually will do you good and not make you sick. That makes a lot of sense, but that's not really in the preventive space. I'm more intrigued, though, that, though I think there's opportunities there, or I think Cardiogram is doing really interesting work or Apple on finding arrhythmias. On the, so that's interesting as well to me, but again, not, not truly preventive. I think more interesting to me is that can you think about models of care that are fundamentally different? Can you access people in different ways? Can you motivate people in different ways? Can you help people make changes in a different way that are more effective? So I would say roughly those are the three layers that I would consider if you're looking at preventive care. And what other advice or, or, or frameworks would you recommend, you know, really talented you know, technical entrepreneurs who are, you know, maybe been in consumer enterprise previously, started companies now trying to get into healthcare? What else should they be thinking about? when thinking about, you know, uh, which ideas within these fields they should pursue? I think the first piece of that puzzle, it's something that, that I think most people have discussed, but I think it's worth highlighting, which is the first question you have to ask, ask yourself is, do you want to insert yourself into the existing healthcare system and try to add value there? Or do you want to figure out a way to carve out a piece of care that can live outside of the healthcare system and try to figure out what that looks like? I think that's the first decision. I think there's a lot of value to be added on the existing healthcare system. I mentioned to you before that I believe workflow optimization inside the healthcare system is something that I, I believe is a great opportunity to add value uh, to patients, to hospitals, to investors. And, and there's many more like that. So I think you can insert yourself in, in that system. And I myself have invested in a couple of companies in this space. So I, I believe that's a real opportunity. So that's one decision someone needs to make. If you get into that world, 
then there's a set of skills that you have to develop. It's a really complex world. It's, it's a world that is, has a lot of entrenched old technology that is hard to move. It's a world with a bunch of siloed data uh, that sometimes make decisions slowly. And so you have to develop skills to be competent in that, in that world and be able to add value. And whoever can do that, again, I believe can do so. But that's a set of skills that you have to develop. If you go the other route, effectively what you're saying is you're willing to take a bunch more risk on the upside. You're like, well, I might not be able to create a different model of care outside of the healthcare system. But you get to control the consumer experience way more. So I I would imagine if you're way more consumer-oriented the way perhaps I am and our team is, the the second path where you try to build something from scratch, even though it's much, much smaller, it's more compelling. So I think that's the first layer of of criteria to evaluate where to add value in healthcare. I think the second piece is that you have to look at the match between your skill set and the opportunities that are out there. As I said, I think there's opportunities for people who really like to build kind of enterprise type tooling and, and improve workflow. There's opportunities for people who like to build machine learning solutions and manage data and intelligent and get insights from data in interesting ways. There are opportunities for people who really care about the end consumer experience. There are opportunities for people who are very inclined to do operational heavy work. There are opportunities for people who are really inclined to do, you know, inside sales with long sales cycles and they're good at that. So I think it's really important to look at what your own set of skills are and figure out where the match is to make sure you have uh, high leverage. I think the third thing is that it is really important to think really long-term about this. This is less critical to me, but certainly very critical, I guess, to you, Eric, and, and to investors is you want to time these markets well. And, and it's, it's often the case that people look at these massive markets, you know, trillion dollar markets, and they're like, and they look at how technology has added value somewhere else. And, and you say, well, if technology has been so incredible for the tra- transportation industry or for the hospitality industry or whatnot, imagine what it can do in technology. If I can only get 1% or, or whatnot of that market. And in reality, it's really important to time the market well. So the last wave of, techno- of companies, a lot of companies came out probably seven years ago or so who said, Affordable Care Act is changing everything and outcome-based payments are going to change everything. And turns out that that is still taking longer than we imagined. And if you bet the entire company on that wave, some companies came out of that, you know, on scratch and successful, but most companies had a really hard time. So what I would say is that things in this industry move really, really slow, and timing things well is actually important. And so particularly if you go into the let me fix the healthcare industry section of all of this, keep in mind that you should figure out things that work right now, and you should become really good at kind of seeing where the puck is moving, because it's really easy to make a mistake here and be left on the right side, of, on the wrong side of the table. Totally. And if you were running a fund solely focused on investing in healthcare companies, uh, besides what we've, what we've said previously in this episode, what might your thesis be or, or maybe summary or, or, what, or your request for startups or opportunities be if you were you know, on the investment side? Well, so, someone already mentioned, and, and, so, and so I would emphasize that. I would say anyone applying particularly machine vision to two-dimensional data that is used to make decisions in healthcare is something that I'll be interested in. Anyone working on workflow tooling to help uh, ease the burden of really complex coordination inside healthcare systems and within healthcare systems will be something really interesting to me. 
I think something that is high beta is are there ways to reduce the cost of drug discovery? Basically, by the late 50s or 60s, it became clear that a lot of low-hanging fruit in drug discovery had been achieved, and it's become, it became harder and harder to find new drugs. And there's, then there was a wave with Amgen and, and many other people that was interesting, but in general, trying to reduce the cost of drug discovery is really important. There's a couple of really exciting companies out there doing some work on leveraging machine learning to mine data sets and find potential targets for potential molecule for some molecules and there's a lot of brilliant people i know working in that space and so i'm I'm optimistic that something great can come out there and then i would say anyone trying to rethink the preventive care preventive healthcare model would be interesting to me now i think the team working on that has to be has to be a team that is both excited about healthcare excited about the operational model that will allow you to provide care at the right cost, but also really excited about branding and marketing and finding ways to create the right narrative for customers so that they engage with you in a different way. People have a very specific mental model about healthcare that effectively responds to this kind of acute reactive model that we have right now. And so in order to provide proper preventive care, you actually need to be good at branding as well. And so people who are a mix of people who are Strong in branding, strong at product, strong in ops, could be interesting uh, team of founders to to build the new preventive care model. Totally, awesome. One last thing is uh, you have some thoughts on on why medical research is is low yield. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? I think it's almost a fact. Meaning, if you see if you see the rate of progress on drug discovery, if you see the rate of progress on our understanding of disease. It just takes a long time. And I think there's a lot of companies and products that get built on a paper out there trying to prove that something works. And there are a lot of people making claims about certain nutrients and vitamins that can help you. And and we have to be really careful with that. I, I think we have to, I think in healthcare, it's more important to think about, and I think in science generally, and in healthcare in particular, I think it's really important to understand well what the fundamentals are. And what are the things that we know for sure? So for example, take nutrition. There's every other week, there's someone writing an article about something that may be good for you or not good for you. And I always, because I'm in the space, get an email about whether antioxidants or some form of carbohydrate is important or not, or whether meat is actually as bad or not. And I think it's really important to, when you look at the pace of progress, to realize that it has taken a lot of effort and time to make progress on nutrition. It's, not an, it's a highly complex interdependent problem. And we make progress, we make good energy, and we should invest more on it. But it's really important to figure out what do we know for sure. For example, in nutrition, we know for sure that the consumption of highly refined carbohydrates and sugar and, and with, with fructose is very likely in most people, perhaps 80% of people, to cause disease. And many other things we really don't know. And I think it's important to build companies and products and models of cares around what we truly know and be really careful not to fuel the speculation on some of the other things and make sure that we let the scientific progress take its course, invest more, try to move faster, but be careful not to make claims. To to make the contrary argument or, or the argument on the other side is when we are really obsessed as an engineering first culture, say in Silicon Valley or in the technology sector, about getting more data, you have to be really mindful about what do we know for certain about some of these data points and what do we don't know. So so there's there's a 
plethora of people gathering data that we think may be relevant for things, but we're not sure, and taking actions on that. And, and that to me is, it's scary, really. I'll give you an extreme example. There's a person I know that is constantly sampling his blood and constantly sampling his blood glucose and constantly sampling the cholesterol levels and making reactions, making, making decisions very, very quickly on that data. Then there's a confidence interval to some of this data. So if you're constantly sampling the information, the odds that you get a false positive is pretty high. Then what happens when you get a false positive is you react on it and you go and take a medication against it or you go and do some radical change against that data. And if the, if the data was a false positive, you may actually create a problem that was not there yet. So generally speaking, when it comes to understanding what are the actual levers in our body to be healthy, we know little, we know it with confidence, so we should build products and services and models of care to achieve that, as opposed to speculate on what could happen on the periphery, where we still don't know. There we should do science, we shouldn't do product or businesses, we should research. And second, particularly when it comes to different models of care, if you're thinking about collecting a ton of data and reacting on that data, I think we need to be very mindful about how we do use that data. And, and I think we need to be very mindful about basic principles of sampling and statistics and take the data with caution. So that's kind of what I mean. Totally. In, in closing, is, um, are there any plugs you'd like to, uh, to say for Metabolic or where can people learn more about what you're, what you're up to and, and uh, what they, they should stay tuned for? Yeah. If people are trying to lose more than 20, 30 pounds of weight, if they worry about their blood biomarkers, worry about a history of disease in their family, and they're trying to control how they eat, then they should go to getonefix.com and we're hopefully the right, the right service for you. Uh, if, if you want to talk to me directly, you can, get, you can reach me at jonathan at getonefix.com. You can reach me at jgeller.com. On Twitter, that's J-G-H-E-L-L-E-R. Awesome. Jonathan, thank you so much. It's been a great episode. Thanks. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash network catalyst.